So you blew me off for a bottle of tequila. Tequila's no good for you. It's cold, doesn't write. It's not nearly as much fun to wake up to. Hello and welcome to Scalpels and Tequila. I am Tamsin. I'm Ayla and today we're... I'm Ayla. I'm Ayla and today we're discussing... <laughs> What's your name again? <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> You can definitely leave that in if you want or just pop it at the end. You're welcome. <laughs> Today we are discussing Season 1, Episode 4, No Man's Land. In this episode, Meredith, Izzy and George relax into their new housemate dynamic. Christina treats a beloved scrub nurse from Seattle Grace. Izzy's modelling background is revealed not only by her patient but also by Karev. Meredith and Derek treat a construction worker with a brain injury. How did you feel about this episode, Tamsin, going back to the early days? This is such a memorable episode because of Alex's bullying and the doctor model and the pictures everywhere. Like, it's just such a visual, it's such a visual episode. So It's an episode that's really different to current uh, morals and acceptabilities. This is, this is definitely a product of its time and some of the characters in it. Sorry, I think, I don't know, I don't know why it just went dark. Obviously, the power's not out, but I'm just going to tell Tom. What is... What, what just happened? Wait, I, I thought you turned the lights off. I'm not touching anything. Light switch is all over there. Okay, so for everyone listening, Tamsin's just bought a house. Congratulations. <laughs> but it's haunted. They went off all by themselves. I'm now sitting in the dark, except all of the computers and this is still on. It's really weird. <laughs> Could you say that it's feeling rather intimate? I didn't touch that light switch. There's also a thousand bugs in here. So I set you up really well saying, we could leave this all in because I just set you up really well saying, doesn't this feel rather intimate? (laughs) So this opening monologue from Meredith, this is one that I always remember. I just really love the language that she uses. So she says, Intimacy is a four-syllable word for here is my heart and soul. Please grind them into hamburger and enjoy. It's both desired and feared. Difficult to live with and impossible to live without. Intimacy also comes attached to life's three R's, relatives, romance, and roommates. And those three things are really what this episode covers. Yeah, look, the other, it could have been four R's. It could have been residency as well, and they would have nailed it. Mm-hmm. Just needs, like, fragile masculinity needs to start with an R and then it's all covered. Ridiculous men. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, This episode starts off with George in the shower and Izzy just comes busting in in her underwear to grab stuff and he obviously gets very flustered, which, like, again, I think Izzy's being the shit housemate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, they haven't been living together long enough to barge in on the shower. Like, I accidentally opened the toilet door on my housemate's knee this morning and I feel terrible. But the shower screen is fuzzy. It's not like she can see anything. It's like a fuzzy glass. But yes, they haven't been living together wrong. So you would have been okay with your old housemate walking in if if, if, if it it was frosted glass? I feel like definitely there's situations. Have you ever lived in a housemate dynamic? Yes. But I've lived with three girls, so maybe that's different. I've lived with guys as well. Yeah, okay, maybe I wouldn't barge in like that. But when I lived with three girls, we were 
in each other's face, in each other's space all the time. You'd knock on the door and be like, hey, I really, really need to use the bathroom. Yeah, it's different when you live with... I've always lived with boys. Which is really upsetting when you need mascara. It's, I think it's different when you live with girls. I don't know. I, I feel like we were, yeah, always in each other's space in a nice way. In a similar way that they portray in this episode. But Izzy's the only one doing it. If George was doing it when they were in the shower as well, like fair game to you. Mm. But she is the one breaking this boundary frequently because he's very upset by it. And then she just reminds him to go buy her tampons. Okay, that's actually a really good point because it is about it is he is trying to set a boundary and she is absolutely not listening, not hearing it, dismissing it entirely. Yeah, that's a really fair point. See, I've always been on Izzy's side on this, but this is I haven't thought about it this deeply before. Yeah, okay. Said, "Hey, that makes me uncomfortable. Please don't do yeah, it." Yeah, and she doesn't, and she keeps doing it, and she almost mocks him for trying to set a boundary. She does mock him. So that's not good. Yeah, okay, Izzy's. Being the shit housemate, mm-hmm. that is fair. Except, okay, so she he should be able to get tampons. Like he's a grown man, you can pick up some fucking tampons when you pick up the toilet paper. I feel uncomfortable getting tampons for other women just because I'm like, am I buying the ones she likes? Are these the right ones? Oh, Aelia, changing my mind about everything I thought I believed. <laughs> Because, like, I only use tampons with applicators, and Australians think that's really funny. That is really interesting to me. Do you, I don't even know where you would buy those. Every time a girl comes over and, like, I need a tampon, I'm like, here you go. And they're like, what are you, fucking 12? I'm like, <laughs> no, I just would prefer not to squat down in public and, like, get it in the right spot and have clean hands. Where do you even buy ones with applicators? I'm so glad we're not filming this. My arms are flapping all around like I'm pretending to be the tampon. I've never seen one. I've never seen one here. Literally Tampax. No. Tampax. It's in every grocery store and chemist. They're in a navy box. If it's not pink or, like, multicolored, no clue. I would get the wrong ones. See? So if you went to buy me tampons and I said, these are the ones I use. Oh, if you said to me, get these ones, these are the ones I need, then yeah. You don't even know what they look like. I would find them. I would find them. (laughs) (laughs) Or I'd give up and get you like the the zebra print ones from Libra. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Maybe I'm the bad housemate. Anyway, though, we've we've been talking about the first 30 seconds of the show for at least the first five minutes of ours. So this is going to be a long episode, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on. Basically, George has a problem with being treated like a sister. He says, I'm not your sister. I'm a man. I'm a real boy. Oh, which is so annoying. So this... This episode is called No Man's Land, which is a song like all of the episode titles, but I looked it up and it's actually like a thousand different songs have this title, so I don't know which one they meant. It's but the Billy Joel No Man's Land. Fun facts with Ava. It is interesting to me because I guess that is part of this theme as well. This episode is almost about it being it's a man's world everywhere or in a way that's what the men want you to believe because I feel like it's almost like dogs peeing on their territory this whole episode. It's like all of these men are trying to assert their dominance over women in so many scenes, constantly. You see it in Alex, you see it in George, you see it in Burke, you see it in Derek, and you see it in Izzy's Patient. So, yes, it's called No Man's Land, but 
So I think that's going to be an interest. It's going to be interesting to come back to this no man's land idea. This episode is quite different from the other ones we've reviewed in the past because this episode is actually really, really focused on the patients more than what's going on with our characters. Yeah. So all of our characters learn a bit about themselves through these patients. And I also think these patients really drive the storyline of the characters. So they are really important. They're not just kind of you know, warm bodies for them to have their storylines around. They are really integral to the storylines in this episode. This episode starts off with everyone arriving uh, at the hospital and Christina got there an an hour or so early so she could get the best patient. Uh, So Christina's patient is a woman, Nurse Fallon, who is a nurse that was with Seattle Grace for many, many years, decades even. We find out later that she's actually Ellis Gray's scrub nurse for 18 years. So they worked so closely together. It's almost like they were sisters. And she makes this comment that even though she spent so much time with Ellis, she never met Meredith. That's how impersonal their relationship was. It was purely work. She was under the impression that Ellis Gray uh, wasn't personally invested in her at all. She was just her scrub nurse. Um, but we see Christina come into the room and, again, we're getting the same as last episode, this very, very cold, unfeeling Christina. She comes barging into this woman's room. The woman's got pancreatic cancer. That is one of the most unpleasant cancers you can get. Mm-hmm. And she just comes barging into this woman's room at 4.30 in the morning. No hello, no good morning. And she gets what's coming to her. <laughs> this idea of Christina waking up early just to get the best surgeries, it, going back to the if you want to be a shark, be a shark comment, I think it's almost portrayed as if it's a bad thing. But I don't think it's bad. I actually think it's quite admirable that she wants to be so good at her craft that she puts in as much time as she possibly can. She just wants to be good at her job. I agree. But being good at your job as a doctor is caring about your patients. And everything that she is doing is at the expense of her patients. Oh, which, yeah. At the end of the day, she is there to serve them and comfort them. And making sure someone is well isn't just about their physical health either. And she constantly oversteps the line. Even when this patient calls her out on it, she doesn't even apologize. She treats them all like they're meat. That's that's a really good point. I guess like she's treating her patients like they're an exam, like they're not actually a person. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the lesson that Christina learns today. Yeah. But yes, we see Christina barging into her room after Bailey has just given a speech to them about, you know, you're the first person they see in the mornings and basically bedside manner. Oh my gosh. Bailey actually says to them, make them feel good so they will talk to you. Yes. Christina never makes her feel good so she doesn't talk to Christina. Bailey also says... If you make your resident look bad, she will torture you and make you cry for your mama. And I was like, oh, yes, Bailey. (laughs) (laughs) Bailey. What's her name? Elizabeth Fallon just gives it to Christina. She's like, I've seen a thousand interns just like you. You think you're going to get in here? You think you're going to get a Whipple, don't you? The one or two a year that we do. And uh, Fallon calls. <laughs> Which is exactly what Christina's thinking. She reads her like a book. Christina, um, she calls Christina doctor. And Christina's like, it's Dr. Yang. It's Dr. Christina Yang. <laughs> and Fallon's just like, I'm going to call you Christina. And you are going to call me Nurse Fallon. 
<laughs> Here is your box. I'm going to put you directly in it. Hush, puppet. She also makes that comment about what's at your what's at home? Do you have a partner? Do you have a family? And Christine's just like, I got a bed. It's where I sleep. And then we see Burke watching this conversation. And again, you see the little glint in Burke's eye as he learns a little bit about Christina. It's almost like he is lurking because he wants these tidbits about her life because I think he does find her very mysterious. And he wants to know all these things without asking because he's Burke. He's never going to ask too much, you know. He's got to remain the cold, mysterious, broody corner one. And then we have the complete opposite of Izzy walking into a room, gently knocking and switching on the light and saying, I'm so sorry to wake you. Are you okay? Speaking softly, being really kind. And it's it's again that duality between Christina and Izzy that's being... Yes, this heart and brain duality and her patient is mr humphrey and this is when we find out that a photo shoot that izzy has done for a lingerie company called bethany whisper has just come out so it's really interesting this conversation he has because he basically throws her out of the room it's like you cannot be my doctor i don't want you in here mr humphrey has prostate cancer so he's actually at the hospital today to get a prostateectomy, I suppose. He's having, he'll be having his uh, prostate checked and surgeried on a doctor that they lovingly call Limp Harry. And this doctor is a very old white man who's like, yeah, I can do it tomorrow morning and then I'll get it around a golf. But he's called Limp Harry because he's known for never sparing the nerve. So he's a, a proctologist, I believe they're called. And the surgery that he does um, effectively will remove the entire uh, prostate, which basically neuters men. They, they can no longer get erections or have sex, basically. Um, so Mr. Humphrey is very upset. And he sees Izzy and he just, he throws her out and we have no idea why. But it turns out that he's seen her in the photo shoot. Meanwhile, Alex, George and Gray are put onto Derek's service where he has patient Jorge Cruz who injured himself falling down the stairs and copping seven nails to the skull from a nail gun. So brutal. Terrifying. Yeah. It's it's the fact that he's awake. Yes, he's awake and talking. Oh. And this is really, this is the character where we get some full-on R for romance because him and his wife are just so in love. So adorable. So he's talking to Grey and he's like, my wife will just say I'm stupid. He, she doesn't like the nail gun. She thinks it's dangerous. And Grey's like, yeah, you think? You got seven damn nails in your head. I thought it was really weird that Derek, like, shoes George and Alex off to do research to find out if this has ever been done before. Um, And it turns out 23 times is how many times this has happened before. We do get to hear the line that comes up quite a bit in Grey's Anatomy towards the end where Derek says, if you hear hoofbeats, don't expect zebras. Oh, that is the first time. It basically means don't expect the unexpected. Expect the the normal reaction or the normal thing first. If it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably going to be a duck. It could be a cat wearing a duck costume, but most likely it's going to be a duck. So we'll treat it like it's a duck. And then if it happens to be a cat, like, okay, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But I actually think that's such a, like an act one gun, you know, you hear it and you go, well, he's said that line. So obviously 
Meredith's going to be right and it's going to be a zebra. Mm-hmm. Why else would you write that into a thing? Correct. But George and Alex have a really interesting chat when they're doing their research. George gets really funny and puts on this like bravado because Alex is very frat boy and infers from his discussion about this, the morning that uh, George is like a sister, like that's a bad thing. Yeah. Oh, I just got what you meant about the men being, like, not great towards women in this episode. They're just, like, dogs peeing everywhere. They're just trying to outdo each other. They're just trying to get their territory all over this episode. Yeah. Yeah, so Alex being like, oh, so what, they just walk around their underwear? And George is like, yeah, they just walk around. He's like, is it sexy underwear? Like, does it, are they doing it for you? Like, and he's like, no, no. And that's when Alex says, so they're treating you like a sister. And it just gets on George's nerves so bad because he just just walks around like he he has he has to prove something to Alex. Since day one, we've seen Alex make George feel inferior with his comments, and George just just does not have the confidence to be okay with who he is. And the more I watch these episodes, the more George really annoys me. Yeah, I understand that Alex is the one being a dick, but it's like yeah, but think about it. What's wrong with being like yeah, these girls are my friends, we're housemates, they're great. That's what I mean. Like, George is also kind of a dick by perpetuating the idea and buying into the dumb fucking bro culture. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Product of its time. <laughs> the early thousands were rough. This episode, it really is. But also, this happens. This shit happens. It still happens. It actually absolutely still does happen. And then Alex, I guess, he says this comment, and in this bro culture, masculine needing way that was a terrible way to explain what I'm saying but it's like he gets jealous he gets jealous that George has this relationship with the girls because I think it's in you know inferred a little bit that Alex has a crush on Izzy Alex has a crush on everyone (laughs) oh yeah Alex's idea of a crush is pulling the piggy tails he's exactly that kid that pulls the pigtails of the girl he has the crush on it's exactly that he prints out Izzy's modeling pictures from the magazine of her in the laundry sticks them up all over the hospital, covers the locker room in them and sticks them up on the elevator all to make Izzy feel ashamed and uncomfortable, which is ludicrous. It's so gross. It's negging. It's just negging her. So we're going to talk about this scene now. This scene is horrific. It is such a horrible display of sexual harassment. This is her workplace. And it's almost like he's egged on all these other guys in this locker room to make fun of her when she walks in. It's like an ambush. I feel like if it was me, I would have been in tears. Absolutely same. I would have been so upset. But she fucking smashes this dialogue out. She's like, you want to see it? You want to see it then? She takes off her clothes. So she's standing in her underwear. And she's like, oh, what are these? These are breasts. How do I do surgery with these all day? And what's this? What's down here? Who knows? It's glutes. Like. Check out the booty that put Izzy Stevens through med school. Which actually, honestly, when she says that line, when she says the word booty, I think she's very uncomfortable. It's really weird. I feel like she's never said the word booty in her life. She does that, like, head twist that rolls through your whole body when she does it this well. I think the directors told her to do this little, like, dancey move, and she can't quite do it, and it just feels very uncomfortable. And she gets right up in Alex's face and is just like, mm-hmm. I, you've come into medicine with $200,000 in debt. I don't. Yeah, she explains that she has paid off all of her student loans, $200,000 American dollars is so much money. 
I think that's pretty unrealistic for a, a photo shoot. She must have done other photo shoots. I don't think she's just done the one. Dozens. But, yeah, she would have had to no. have been doing it for years. Like, that's a lot of money. Yeah, like uh, enough that people would have seen her before and be like, oh, you look very familiar. But we, we find out that this is why her patient is so uncomfortable with her. So he's going in for a biopsy and uh, Bailey walks him in and he throws Izzy out of the room. And Izzy says to Bailey, hey, look, this patient's really uncomfortable with me being in there. I think you should take me off the case. And Bailey says no, which I, again, just think is wrong. I think that's wrong too because the patient has specifically requested – the patient has said that they're uncomfortable with this person in the room. And I I understand where Bailey's coming from because she's like, no, you're a professional. You know, this is your work. But I actually think Izzy's done the right thing and removed herself from the situation same. It's a pretty vulnerable position to be having surgery. You need to trust the people that have you when you're unconscious. But we've seen this many times when patients are like, I would like another doctor, I want this doctor removed, and then they're like, okay, you have to go. So why is this any different? You know, there's a few episodes where characters will be like, put me on the case instead. Just say you don't want the doctor. And it's a bit of a hush-hush under the table thing, and they don't even need to give a proper reason. No. And surgeries get shifted in an instant, straight away, if Correct. someone makes a call like that. Well, because of this altercation with Alex, like, Izzy's ready to go. She's done with this bullshit. And she just storms directly into Mr. Humphrey's room and says, what is wrong with me? I am your doctor. You are a patient. That is it. You can deal with it. And he just says one of the most heartbreaking things. For this episode that is so full of testosterone and this fragile masculinity and this bro culture that's so exhausting... The one that seemed almost the worst actually has the best reason. And the way he's so articulate and open and vulnerable with her is really surprising. He does also compare his idea of masculinity to his ability to have an erection. Totally. I definitely understand that masculinity has nothing to do with genitalia, but I also believe that getting a part of your body removed for anyone and it can change how you feel about your own sense of self and you do have to refine who you are without that for good or for it might make you feel better to not have that body part it might make you feel worse but it definitely is going to be a shift and this is how he feels and I don't want to take anything away from him definitely people don't need an erection to be masculine that's not what i'm saying but this person is very connected to that part and that idea of that being so important to him so i think to be able to open up and share that with izzy i think it's a really big conversation no i i agree Mm. well what he says is do you know what they're going to do to me today I have cancer. They're going to lift up my legs and expose me to the world and cut out my prostate and my nerves effectively new to me. So is it so hard to understand that I don't want the woman who's in the photo to witness my emasculation? Yeah. And he does infer that he had just uh, masturbated uh, to a picture of her. Yeah. Um, and that's that's so rough. I can understand that. So, yeah, I, I completely think that Izzy should have been taken off the case from the get-go. She shouldn't have been put in that position, and neither should the patient. The patient going through that to have the added stress on top of being forced upon him, a doctor that he is not comfortable with having. Yeah, and it's weird that Bailey made that call. I think it's nice to see how much Bailey can stick up for her interns, but it's also after Bailey giving the speech about putting a patient's needs first, it's very 
juxtaposing to hear her do this. It's, yeah. So this patient, they end up sort of ex- accepting each other and he goes in for surgery. So it's it's just Bailey who is assisting um, limp Harry and Bailey says there's lots of viable nerves and Izzy and George are watching this whole surgery take place and Bailey's asking him to save the nerves and see what he can do and he basically just says why would I do that that's gonna take an extra hour and I want to play golf yeah what a dick and then Izzy jumps in and says the same thing and he tells Bailey to control Izzy and she's just like I'm sorry nothing to do about these young puppies again another man trying to assert his dominance and peeing on his territory I feel like that's literally yep such a theme of this episode but it's hilarious because Bailey just throws it back on him. He's like, well, if it was you on the table. <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. Be a lot different then. We actually see Meredith talk to Christine's patient, Liz Fallon, again after Meredith finds out that it's her mum's scrub nurse that's in the hospital. She goes in quite reserved and just politely says, um, I'm Meredith Gray. I'm Ellis's daughter. She sends her regards. That's all Meredith wants it to be because Meredith is so closed off about her family, about her, I'm going to use the R word, about her relatives. She's so closed off about her mum. She has such a, she has, she has a very difficult family life. Yep. So to meet someone who's friended with her mum is, would feel weird. To meet someone who's spent more time with her mum than she's ever got with her mum probably feels really uncomfortable and really difficult for Meredith. When when Meredith comes in and says, I just want to say my mother sends her regards, the nurse like just says, no, she didn't. Um, I was a scrub nurse for 18 years. Like, she, she's not a person who sends her regards. Yeah. She sees through Meredith's lies so quickly. She sees through Meredith's, like, veil of politeness. And she just says, but you knew that already. Because mm-hmm. we saw Meredith at the start of the episode actually writing a check for her mother's um, nursing home. So Meredith is paying for that on top of everything. She must be so stressed. So stressed. And she doesn't have anyone to talk to about it. And no one understands what she's going through. And that's where this Liz Fallon character becomes such an integral plot point for Meredith because Meredith comes back to Liz's room and Liz, again, sees straight through everything that Meredith says. She's asking questions about how her mum is and eventually Liz basically just cuts the bullshit and says, what's her diagnosis? And Meredith does this beautiful, Ellen Pompeo does this beautiful acting work of laughing Holding back tears. Oh, no, because uh, Liz Fallon says Ellis never forgets a thing and Meredith just loses her shit. Yeah. And you can almost see the relief, the relief in Meredith's face because she has been holding this in for so long. She's had no one to talk to about it. And then she finally can say it and someone understands and someone knows Meredith's mum well enough to know exactly what Meredith's going through in a way. Like she guesses what's happening at the nursing home and... So many bugs in here. It's driving me crazy. I'm shutting the window. It's funny that Nurse Fallon, she doesn't seem to dislike Ellis Gray. I think that she has so much respect for her. But when Meredith goes back and sees her mother at the nursing home, she mentions Nurse Fallon. And Ellis just starts beaming and says, oh, Nurse Fallon, how is she? I love her. 
And that's one of the only times I think we ever see Ellis Gray happy or mention anything to do with love. So it's it's really funny. You do see a little bit of how little emotion um, Ellis Gray shows towards people she deeply cares about because Nurse Fallon was completely unaware that Ellis felt that way about her. Yeah, and I think it's important to mention when we see Ellis talk about Liz Fallon and we see her in all this joy being like, oh, I love her, that comes straight after Meredith has been showing photos to her mum of her family. So it's little Meredith, Meredith's dad and Ellis, these old family photographs, and Ellis just she doesn't recognise them at all. But as soon as Meredith mentions Liz Fallon, the memory's back. How is she? Does she still work at the hospital? I feel like that would be really hard. You know, you understand that this parent has Alzheimer's. You, you know, you know that intellectually. But to see her not recognize her husband or you and then one second later remember a colleague by name and remember her job and what she did and the relationship they had it just adds to this feeling of Meredith didn't really have a good childhood she didn't have her mum around it just kind of adds to Meredith's childhood loneliness I understand that but um I think Fallon was really a we got so much out of her storyline. We see so much of Christina. Um, Cause the second day mm-hmm. she pops in and she's still just bloody mad at Fallon for not being dead enough to get the Whipple. And Burke is again, just being yeah. an absolute awful human being. He's like dangling a carrot in front of her and just, taking so much joy from Christina's misery this episode and he's just loving torturing her. Like it's it's Christina, she loves surgery when Do they're... you think he's loving torturing her? Well, look, when they're in I don't know, I think he's just I think he has a weird way of teaching. Yes, her. by torturing. Like when uh so they're in surgery, um Derek uh Derek Gray and George are in surgery, removing the nails from the head. This is this is a huge surgery. Um, and there's people up watching, and Christina finally gets to run away for a minute because she's she's been expecting a whipple for two days. She's been looking after this woman for 48 hours, and she keeps asking when the surgery is mm. going to happen. And so she finally gets a minute away, and she gets a chance to sit in and watch this surgery. And then Dr. Burke just leans forward and starts negging her, realising that she's really excited to see this surgery, Mm -hmm. and he just tells her she has to leave, so she misses all of it, to do tests to determine whether or not they're going to do the Whipple, even though he already knows that they have no intention of doing it whatsoever. He's basically just wasted her entire day and sacrificed her opportunity to see a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for his own sick satisfaction. Yeah, you're so right. He's like... Yeah, he's taking away her learning by doing that. He's really impacting her education. He gets off on being cruel and taunting his interns at the expense of their education. Speaking of the attendings, we also see Derek trying to get into Meredith's pants again and her saying no. Again. Leave her alone. Again. 
He thinks he's being all cute with the, what'd you have for breakfast? Cold pizza? <laughs> you seem like a cereal girl. And she's like, no, I would like to be a professional. Mm-hmm. Because Christina negs her. I keep saying negs. Christina makes an offhanded remark about her getting good cases because she sleeps with she sleeps with attendings. And that's further proved when she's chatting with Fallon and Burke and Weber are in there. And Fallon's talking to Weber about Christina. And he says, oh, no, no, I was going to give your case to uh, Meredith Grey. And you can see Christina's head being like, oh, yeah, so you're sleeping with Weber too then. It's a really bad day for Christina. And then I guess a part of me wants to think that maybe Burke is trying to make Christina spend time with this patient because it's then explained after Christina does all these tests that Liz is really only there to die, sadly. There isn't anything they can do for her. She's signed a DNR and she knows that's why she's there and he knows that's why she's there kind of like an unspoken agreement that these are her final days and there isn't anything anyone can do. But Burke just keeps making her spend time with Liz, do tests with Liz, and they do form a kind of bond. And when Christina's in the room when she passes away, you can really see it in Christina's face that this, it's like she processes that this was a person and she had a bond with this person and it's the first time for Christina to call time of death. This is potentially, because I don't think we've seen Christina watch someone die. She's seen people, dead people, and she's seen um, surgeries go badly and she's seen George, like someone die in the operating theatre from when she's looked from above but she hasn't just watched someone, it's her patient and it's like right there in front of her with people watching. They're seeing it, you know, they can see her face. See, I thought it was more guilt-based because she spends this entire episode talking about how this case, not this patient or this person, but how this case is a waste of her damn time. They're all having a chat about... Izzy's modeling career and she basically says this patient's just useless I wish she'd die already so I could do something else like she's so nonchalant and she doesn't give a damn about this patient and she's spoken poorly about this patient so when this patient does die I think she just feels guilty that she's been referring to a human as a waste of time because it's a reflection on herself well yeah this is her I think realizing that it's a person realizing that this is a human yeah and potentially, because it's kind of hinted at that Nurse Fallon sees herself in Christina, this idea that, you know, the not personable, just there to work and work hard. It's kind of hinted that she's a bit reflected in Christina and Christina's reflected in her. So potentially there is something about her choosing to die in the hospital is a bit of a reflection for Christina as well, because maybe it's this idea that she spent all her time in the hospital. She didn't establish relationships, friends, family outside of work. She doesn't have a boyfriend, a girlfriend or any pets. All she has at home is a bed. bed. So she's chosen to come to the hospital to die because that's where there's people. To her home. Who know her. That's her home. So potentially there is a bit of a connection there. What do you think about Fallon's line when she says, I always put doctors into two categories, the ones who remember their patient's name and the ones who don't. And she doesn't inflect that either of them are good or bad. It's just that they have different priorities and that's very much Izzy and Christina. Definitely. 
Definitely very much Izzy and Christina. Because Christina thinks she's making a dig at her. Christina's like, oh, and the ones that are better are the ones that know the names. And Fallon's like, no, that's not what I said. Didn't say anything. Just said there was two categories. And I actually think that's where it's hinted that Fallon sees herself in Christina. Yeah, I'd agree. Oh, sorry, we got off topic. Derek being a pain in the ass again. I know, leave her alone. Leave her alone. That's the that's the slogan. And it's, it's two days in a row. And Meredith is like... I'm going to be professional. And when she sets that boundary, he gets quite aggressive. Like he steps towards her Mm -hmm. and says, all right, Dr. Gray, have a day. Like he's going to, he's angry now. He's officially angry. Mm. This is, it's quite threatening. There's a lot of setting boundaries in this episode. The Izzy's patient setting a boundary about her being in the operating room. George setting a boundary of housemates and rules. Meredith setting a boundary, being like, no, Derek, we are going to be professional. Please stop. Bailey setting a boundary that she's not going to put up with shit from older doctors anymore. Mm-hmm. And defending her patient. Burke just being an asshole. He's the villain. He's always been the villain. He will always be the villain. Mm. And in real life too, but that's for later. So roommates, we have established romance Romance. So we have established romance a little bit. So there is the Derek trying to make a romance with Meredith. There is George speaking about having feelings for someone again. We all know that it's Meredith, but Meredith does not know this yet. Alex, I having this bullyish crush on Izzy. And then we have Jorge Cruz. Yeah, the patient. And his wife. So they successfully take out all of the tumours and his eyesight comes back and she's, they told a story about how he loves taking photos and her favourite dress is a red dress. So Derek comes in in the morning and checks with Meredith about how Jorge is. He walks into the room and Jorge says, my wife's wearing a red dress and I'd know that even if I wasn't blind. It's a bit too much. They're laying it on too thick for it's me, honestly. It's so cute. Oh, is it? It's too much. It's so cute. They had to throw in some cheesy as heck romance. Lay off the cheese. I am vegan. Thank you. <laughs> but they do finally the CT because they never got a CT. CT's been out all day. Uh, so they finally get a CT and it was zebras. He's got a tumor. Zebras. And he's given two options. This is the first time, it's really funny, Derek says, I can't get the whole tumor. And I'm like, oh, since when can't you get the whole tumor? This episode, just this episode, this one zebra. It's the zebra. Cannot get it. Because the edges are all fluffy. He's like, I can take it out and you'll probably get about 10 years, but you'll lose all your memories. The other option is we treat it with radiation. Maybe, 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 maybe he'll lose all his memories. Maybe he won't be the same guy that went in. Other option, you get uh, radiation and you have three to five good years. These are the choices that they're given. And then some boundaries come in again because Meredith completely crosses them. She takes the wife out. Do you have a bug in your water? I have a bug in my water. There, There is lots of bugs going on. There's so many bugs. So Meredith completely crosses the line. She talks to the wife out in the corridor and she lets her own drama and her own stuff that's going on in her life really impact this conversation with the wife. So 
the couple decide that they want to go with the removal and Meredith is, is just seen her mother who's lost all her memories and crosses a big boundary. Yeah, she talks to the wife out in the corridor and she basically really berates her. She really crosses berates her. the line in the way that she's speaking to the wife because she just says, you can't have 10 years with this person if he loses what makes him him because you will have 10 bad years. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. You'll have 10 bad years. Otherwise, pick the five good years because it's so much better because you will have your, oh, hey, you will have your person. She's really just talking about her mum and what she's going through and does not, she just cannot understand and does not understand where they're coming from with their decision. And Meredith kind of refuses to understand that it's their decision at all. I think if Meredith had given the wife a bit of context, it would have been more similar. Be like, hey, I just wanted to talk to you about your decision. Uh, my mother has Alzheimer's, so she has lost all of her memory of me. And I do want you to know that it is, it's a really difficult thing to go to having someone that you know and love so much suddenly have no idea who you are and their personality completely changes. I want you to consider this. Um, but instead it's just, you don't know what you're doing. This is a bad decision. You're making a bad decision. You're going to lose the person you love. And the wife comes back and says, he's my Jorge and I will give him 10 bad years. And I'm like, woof. His body, his choice. Yep. That's, that's a lot. Would you stay? still make him his omelet every Every day. Would you, if your partner went in and had a brain surgery and came out, didn't know who you were and had a completely different personality, would that be your partner? It's such a hard question because they're obviously going to need a support system, but I, I would definitely say don't have the surgery. Yeah. I wouldn't have it personally. Just sell all of my things and go on a five-year holiday. Exactly. Make the memories. Make all the memories. Have a good time. I feel like I couldn't do that to my partner. I think Jorge's being a bit of a jerk, making her do this, but his body, his choice, but also it's her life. So if potentially if I chose to do that, chose to have the surgery that might render me not the same person if I have a brain injury, I think I would make sure if that was my decision, that that decision's only going to impact me. It's not going to impact someone else. I don't want to take away 10 years of my partner's life. Same Z's. I mean, so I'd be like, look, if this goes badly, I'm giving you an out. You know, get me care, but you go live your life. Don't let this impact you. Well, because you would have technically died, I suppose. You as a personality would be gone. Exactly. It's not the same person. If it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it might not be the same duck. No, no. Like necromancy, you know. They always say don't do it because the same person never comes back. (laughs) Just a cat in a duck costume. (laughs) So, yeah, basically Derek settles down the wife who unpleasantly walks past Grey and she just gives Derek a dirty look and turns and walks away. Um, And we cut back to Christina checking in on Nurse Fallon. And Nurse Fallon's having trouble breathing. Yeah, so this is where we see that Nurse Fallon passes away. And we see what we were talking about before, Christina kind of having a real moment, really realising that this human... Well, she tries to uh, resuscitate her. She calls a code. Yeah, but she's DNR. Yeah, and there's that one, the the nurse who's in Grey's Anatomy so much and I don't think he ever gets a name. 
But he's in being in Grey's a lot. The one telling her that she's got a DNR and she keeps going. And it's not until Burke walks in that he physically grabs her mm-hmm. by the arms and pulls pulls her off. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why that bothered me so much. I think it was the physicality of it in the workplace. So many lines. Crossing a line. But then we see after Fallon passes... We see this moment with Burke and Christina in the stairwell. But Christina's kind of, it looks like she's about to break down. And I have a bit of a chat that you can't quite hear because Tegan and Sarah are singing so loudly. Oh, yeah. Whatever happened to Tegan and Sarah? They're used so much in this first season. I clocked that. I was like, wow, we get a lot of Tegan and Sarah in this. So much. It's a great album, though, the one that they use in, in this season. It's a really oh, good album. I loving this so much where does it go go look me in the eye and tell me you don't find me attractive look me in the (laughs) and then he grabs her again by the shoulders and they stare deeply into each other's eyes and it is a moment it's loaded fully loaded with so much like i feel like i couldn't i couldn't name all the emotions that are flicker between the two of them there's like Anger and lust and, like, understanding and deep sadness. What does he say? Um, Have your feelings, have the feelings, feel it. He tells her to feel it and to let her go, let her go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he tells her to to let her go. And then we see Christina cry for the first time or have emotions at all. Yep. Which kind of proves that, like, she does care about her patients. As much as she acts like she doesn't, she, you know, doesn't want to know their names sometimes. Her feelings are there. She's just trying to put the medicine first. I don't know if her feelings were there. I think this may have genuinely been the first time that she had feelings towards she a really patient. Understood. And yeah. saw a patient as more than a cadaver. And also saw herself. I think she almost saw her future there. And just the stupidest ending to an episode that's never explained and it's annoyed me for years. What do you mean? Meredith's out on the, she's out on the street. We see a pan of a, a, a water fountain that has dinosaurs on it for some reason. And she goes and meets Derek for breakfast. It's not a great ending, but I mean, it does have to do with the fact that he's just been asking her what she has for breakfast all the time. So it's like, she's kind of letting him in a little bit there. To be like, oh, I won't have frozen pizza then. Buy me breakfast. I wonder if he asked her how she likes her eggs in the morning. Unfertilized is the only appropriate answer to that. (gasps) Ayla! (laughs) Have you never heard that joke? No! (laughs) How's your head? No complaints. Thank you. (laughs) You've never heard that joke? The unfertilized? No! Anyway. It's a good episode. I think it's a good episode. It is. I, I kind of, it makes me wish that Nurse Fallon was a character just for like a season or two. Mm, what a cool character. It would have been great if she was in the first few episodes, you know, working with the interns, teaching them. Yeah. Like our Laverne that. in Scrubs, the old wise nurse. You always mention Scrubs, but I've never seen it. <gasps> Oh, yeah, don't rewatch it. It doesn't hold up. Yeah, like, if if this sort of turning point for Christina happened halfway through the season, 
um, with Nurse Fallon being someone that she'd had interactions with before. I think this episode would have a lot more hold to it. Great soundtrack on this entire episode. Lots of music on this one. Fun episode. Little Tegan and Sarah reminiscent. That was nice. Um, no outfits that I could really like pinpoint. Izzy's underwear, that makes a big display. And Izzy's little Hello Kitty. Oh, Hello Kitty. I had a pair of Betty Boop underwear mm-hmm. around that time that looked exactly like those, like the cotton ones with the little print. I remember that time very clearly. That's my only wardrobe comment. But we do have the first house party coming up, so there's lots of fashion to talk about soon. Oh, there is a there are some low pants. There are some very low pants. Much to look forward to. Um, well, thank you all so much for listening this week. We do hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, please leave us a review or tell your mum about us. And we have said this before, but we are on a hiatus because they are on a hiatus with our season 18 recap. So we will just be in your ears doing season one for the next couple of weeks until Grey's Anatomy season 18 returns. But follow us on social media, send us an email. All the links are in the show notes. Bye. 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 Vagina. Sing it. Vagina. Vagina. Vagina.